0: Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Shema Podcast. Do you ever find yourself a little fatigued, you know, with all of life's responsibilities? If so, you've come to the right place. We are going to do another episode on the anatomy of a zodic, Hearing stories about people that will inspire us. It's stories of the Zodiac that rejuvenate me. They fuel me again with energy and vitality, allowing me to push ahead for another day. I believe they'll have the same impact on you. I have someone coming on that I asked to share stories of Siddiquim. He may choose to speak of those that have passed, those that are alive. I'll let him choose that. But I decided I, I wanted to begin by sharing a story of a Sadik that I personally know that you will find very inspiring. The person is a rabbi who has dedicated his life to teaching Torah, to reaching out to Jews, to be there to inspire them and get them to understand the beauty of being a Jew, teaching them the wisdom of Torah and bringing them closer to Hashem. And I've watched the way he conducts his affairs and I've told him before And I've said, you know, with your creativity and with your work ethic, if you were to go in the private sector, you would be worth tens of millions of dollars at the minimum. And he said, but that's not something I'm passionate about. I wouldn't have the same level of energy and focus because it's just not something I'm passionate about. What I'm passionate about is helping out my fellow Jews. Now, being in that type of position— does have similarities with that of other professions. You know with the rest of us we have a profession something our livelihood and we all know sometimes you have to disengage from it if you want to be most effective at it. So a lot of us do things like pick up golf or maybe fishing or maybe your way of disengaging is sitting on the beach reading a book. Whatever it may be we all sort of come to this conclusion that we need a little me time to rejuvenate ourselves so we can come back into our profession and other worldly responsibilities with fresh eyes. Now, the person I'm referring to realized he needed to do the same. But try to get your heads around this. For those of you who are not in a community, you may not be aware, but there's an organization called Hadzala. And what it is, is a volunteer organization where people get their EMT certifications and provide free medical care to people in the community. As Since they are embedded in the community, they can reach these people much quicker than the city services. This person decided that his way of having an activity outside of his other profession of teaching Torah, helping Jews his idea of having another activity outside that was to volunteer for Hatzalah. Meaning his getaway was instead of teaching Torah and helping inspire Jews spiritually was to be there to help them in medical emergencies. What I've seen from this individual is that there is no concept of me time. It's a constant focus on everyone around him And their needs. And his family reflects this as well. The home they live in was selected because it's at the heart of this Jewish community. And in the the same way of Avraham and Sarah, every Shabbos, and I would say all the time, their home is opened up to everyone. On Shabbos, when people are walking around in the afternoon, it's Grand Central Station. They have a water station outside for people just want to come by and get some water in the hot summers. Their doors are always open for someone who wants to come in and get some food and a drink and chat and visit with other people. It's non-stop. It's hard for me to grasp. I'm someone that likes to engage with the world but needs to pull back and sort of just go into my internal world. So to me, this is just the most amazing thing. And there are some times where I need some therapy. I'm struggling with something. Now, I heard your collective sigh as you thought to yourself, sometimes you need therapy, Dan. Okay, granted, probably need therapy every day. However, when I do have those moments where I know I need help, I'll send him a text and say, I really need some therapy. I need to talk with you. And he always, regardless of how busy his schedule is, he always makes time for me. And when I go to his home office, carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders... I always leave his office light, with clarity and focus. You know, when my family and I were living up in the suburbs, in a very pristine little community in a bubble of, of the woods, perfectly manicured yards, we had our home custom built, selecting every detail for the aesthetics. We had an interior decorator come in, choose color schemes, buy artwork. We bought new furniture for it. We had landscapers come in design it to be aesthetically pleasing. But we realized we wanted to be in a community. So I called a real estate agent up and I said, find us a home. We want to be in this particular community and in this particular area of the community. And he basically said, that's easy. There's only one option. Let's go out and check it out. So we go to this home. We walk in through the front. There had just been some foundation work done. So the gardens around the front not only contained dead shrubbery, but mountains of mud and concrete. The metal siding around the gardens was so old and rusted, it was popping up in the air. We go inside the home. The blinds, I'm fairly certain, were the original install when the home was built in 1980. Broken. Most didn't work. The aesthetics of the walls were old intercom equipment that didn't work old alarm systems that were very large that didn't work there was a hole in the roof that was allowing water to come in in two of the bedrooms and also allowing a family of possums to live in the attic we walked out into the backyard it had been so unattended for so many years that some of the weeds were as big as trees The concrete and mud along where the gardens used to be in conjunction with the fact that the patio concrete had sunk was causing a mudslide along the patio. We walked back inside with the realtor and my wife and I looked at him and said, is this really the only option? We'll buy, we'll rent. We're open to that, but is this the only option? And he said, yes, this rental is your only option option. My wife and I looked at each other. We smiled and said, then it's absolutely perfect. We'll take it. You see, my friends, the reason this home was perfect was because it was where we wanted it to be. Just a few houses away from the person I just mentioned to you. And this has evolved over time because as we've gotten to know our neighbors, as they've graciously have invited us to their homes for Shabbos or Yom Tov, And we've gotten to know them. Every time we get to know one of our neighbors, our home value increases in our eyes. To where now, this is the finest home we have ever lived in. When you are around people like this, the task of breaking yourself from materialism becomes so effortless that I don't even believe there's merit involved in it. So I have someone coming on, as I mentioned and who is my guest? It's the very person I was just describing to you. It is Rabbi R.A. Wolby, the executive director of Torch and host of the Jewish Inspiration Podcast and co-host with Rabbi Nagel of the Unboxing Judaism Podcast. My friends, we always need some inspiration. I think what I just share with you alone should make you feel that knowing that there are people like this in the world To look up to that we know are there for us should give us the confidence that we can accomplish anything and everything that we set out to do. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwined through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Welcome, Rabbi Ari, and for those listening, I have another amazing special guest, Yitzi Wolby, and he's going to have some brilliant stories to share as well. So Rabbi Ari, let's get to it. Inspire me. Tell me some amazing stories.
1: You know, one of my favorite things I've ever heard from my rabbi was the idea that Torah, the King David says, Torah is like honey. The Torah is sweet like honey. But you wonder, of all of the different things the Torah could be compared to, why would King David choose honey specifically as the example of what the Torah is like? So, of course, we know the Torah is sweet like honey. The Torah is, you know, it's just, it's so full of flavor and it it helps enhance all of the other foods, all of the other parts of your life. But there's something which is so fundamental that really defines what Torah is. The halacha says something really interesting. It says that if you put nevela, nevela is something which is not kosher, Uh, say pork, God forbid, right? Falls into your dish of honey and it sits there for many, many months. It was uh, six to 12 months or something. I don't remember the exact source and the exact time frame, but an extended period of time, not just honey glazed. So if you then take out the nevela from the honey, you can eat it. Why? Because the honey is so powerful that it completely extracts everything that's in it and it becomes honey. Everything that's in it becomes honey. And our sages tell us that that is the Torah. The Torah is that even if someone comes into Torah impure, the Torah extracts all of those impurities and they become Torah as well. And we see this from Rabbi Akiva. The Talmud says about Rabbi Akiva that... His father-in-law, when he married his wife, Rachel, he was an ignoramus, at least, you know, from on his level, on our level. He was probably knew much more Torah than we do today, but he's referred to as someone who didn't know much. You know, he was 40 years old, he meets his wife, and his father-in-law was so upset that she was marrying this shepherd, Akiva, he made a vow that she will never benefit, and he will never benefit from his wealth. So... Now we know many years later, a Kiva comes back and he has 24,000 students. And he is the be-all and, and know-all of Judaism. And he's the leader of the Jewish people. And he just comes, his father-in-law is so happy to invite him into his house and to give him and to share a, a nice brunch with him. And the Talmud asks, one second, didn't he make a vow? He made a vow. He never nullified that vow. So the Talmud says an amazing thing. The way the Torah works... Is that when someone goes to learn Torah, they become a different person. When someone goes to medical school and they're angry, they come out as an angry doctor. When someone is jealous and they go to law school, they become a jealous lawyer. It doesn't change the traits. You get more knowledge, but it doesn't change who you are. But when someone goes to learn Torah, they become completely transformed. I've seen it with my own eyes. Both in myself, I've seen it in other people. People who had negative traits that are beyond, like you wonder, how can a person ever overcome this? But they sit and study Torah, and the Torah completely transforms who you
0: are. You know, I was thinking of the qualities of honey, outside of being very sweet, but it's also very sticky. I'm wondering if that's what you're referring to. It does sort of stick to you in a way that does change who you are.
1: It, It has that ability unless you wash it off. And uh, the hope is that we keep it and we stick it to ourselves and we, and we keep it part. I, I want to sh- share with you an example of an amazing person, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was just, I mean, his face glowed with a joy, with a happiness. He smiled. It lit up the world. And at his funeral, there were tens of thousands of people at his funeral. I was fortunate to be at his funeral. It was 1986. I was eight years old. And at his funeral, there was a nun there. Here's a great rabbi, you know, in the streets of Brooklyn, there's a nun at his funeral. So they asked the nun, like, what are you doing at the rabbi's funeral? She says, this man was such a special man. Every morning he would pass by the the monastery where we were. Every morning he passed by, he said, good morning. Every morning he passed by, he said, good morning. She said, I knew this wasn't just a man. This was someone who was Great. Greatness doesn't necessarily mean that you're isolated from the world. Greatness doesn't mean that you're in your little box and you're completely removed from the world. On the contrary, it's you recognize that every human being has value and every person is great. And you can bring out that light in other people just by being who you are. I want to tell you an amazing story about one of my children I hope he doesn't hear this podcast because he's going to be embarrassed. But it really is, if you want to know what real greatness is, listen to the story. It is unbelievable. So I have one of my pet peeves. All of my children know this. You don't touch the food at Kiddush in Shul till after the rabbi says, Borei hagafen. Till the rabbi doesn't finish the Kiddush, you don't touch the food. You don't even touch a plate or a fork. You don't put anything on your plate. Don't take a cookie. Nothing.
0: Right, but that's hard to do because it all looks so amazing and sitting out there. It's all displayed and everything
1: is ready to go and everyone is grabbing and putting things on their plates. It's one of my things my kids know. I I get so irritated because it's just not right. It's just not right. It's like, you know, don't eat with your eyes. You know, just like take it easy. Take a deep breath. The food's not running away. There'll be enough for you. So this is now going back. My son then, now he's uh, 15. He was probably seven or eight years ago. And we used to dive in at the early minion at, you know, at seven o'clock, and we would be done by, by about nine o'clock. We would have Kiddush. We were at the Kiddush that Shabbos. And I'm looking, I, I, I wouldn't ever, in front of anybody else, for sure not. I would never reprimand my children, but I was just, I wasn't even testing him. But I saw him at the other end of the table, and he's sitting there with his head on his hands, and looking at this delicious chocolate babka, okay, it is juicy babka, (laughs) and he's looking at it, and there are about six pieces left on that tray, and, you know, the rabbi slowly gets into the room, and he's about to fill up his wine cup with with the grape juice or, or with wine, and... Is about to begin making kiddush, and another piece of cake gets taken, and another piece of cake gets taken, and I'm looking at him like his eyes are welling up almost. <laughs> that there's not going to be any more cake left for him, and the rabbi starts saying al kein you need the introduction to the blessing, and another piece of cake goes, and another piece of cake. Now there are only two more left, and the rabbi starts baruch hatashem. And one more piece of cake is taken. There's only one more left, and he's like, "Asher k'dishanu b'mitzosavitzivanu." No, no, he doesn't say that. But he says, "Bore prihagafen," and as he's saying that last word, someone puts their hand in and takes that last piece of cake. And I see my son's eyes from across the room. I see how his eyes like sort of like drop and like. I cannot believe it. Like, it's like the one piece of cake that was left is gone now. And I I didn't tell my son that I saw it. That Shabbos afternoon, we had a big crowd at the table. And I said, I want to just stop for a second and acknowledge a great person in our midst. And I said the story. And I said, and that boy was Shlomo, my son. I said, do you know what it takes to know that it's the wrong thing and it's sitting there right in front of you or you're going to wait? till it's the right time. And then it's just pulled right from in front of your eyes. I said, I'm telling you that this week, I'm going to take Shlomo to the store and I'm going to buy him an entire babka for himself so that he can know that such an amazing deed will get rewarded. If not by his father, our father in heaven will have plenty of ways for him to realize when you do the right thing, you'll be rewarded. But what I want you to understand, Dan, is that it takes such enormous strength such character to be able to overcome an urge a desire the way he did it was so remarkable i mean that is greatness it's like how many of us would be able to withstand such a challenge you know where we know it's just not the right thing to take it before the rabbi's done the kiddush and just leave it there and it gets taken right in front of your eyes but when we know it's the right thing to do it's still challenging But it takes someone great who can really stand up to such a challenge. I thought that that story is a story of absolute greatness because it's what really a tzaddik is able to do is able to mind to control matter. You're able to control the other things that are going on around you. And when someone has the ability to immerse themselves in Torah study and able to control distraction... You know, the distraction. We had an example just this week when we were learning together, there was a fly bothering you.
0: Yeah. You want to share the story? Yeah, I was there. I, I had this amazing situation where I had Rabbi Abraham studying with me. We studied for an hour. I felt like a king. And then when he was done studying, Rabbi Ari comes in and starts studying. And the whole time I was sitting there, there was a fly buzzing all around. I was waving it away. And then finally, you, you share with me, Rabbi Ari. It's like you said... That is what the the Yetzirah is just, bequested Hashem, create a challenge for this guy, see if he can focus. And when I finally ignored it and just let the fly be wherever it wanted to land, it was gone. It never bothered us again. Most distraction is because we allow
1: the distraction to be there. I want to share with you two amazing stories about how people, great righteous tzaddikim, were able to overcome distraction and because their focus in Torah was so great that nothing was able to get in their way. But I want to turn the the, the microphone to my dear son, Yitzi,
0: who's going to share with us a story about... Rabbi Yosef Shalom Eliyashif. Beautiful. Let's go. My next new Wolby podcast star.
1: Rabbi Yosef Shalom Eliyashif was learning his Gemara and everything else. A tractor passed by him. He didn't even realize it. And that same day, there was... A man fixing his sink, and he didn't even realize it because he was just learning. An hour later, another tractor passed. He didn't even realize that again. Another one passed. It was even louder than before. He went to get a drink. His sink was already fixed. He was like, how did the sink get there?
0: And then his wife was like, "Uh, I don't know. Maybe we were just learning and you didn't hear it.
1: So what, what happened is that the, the wife of Rabel Yashiv told the fixer man, fix, the plumber who was fixing their sink, he was trying to be very quiet, not to disturb the rabbi from learning. She's like, you can make as much noise as you want, he won't hear you. Because he was so immersed in his Torah study, the tractor passing by, he didn't hear. The bulldozer passing by, he didn't hear. And the person fixing the sink, he had no idea that the person is banging away, removing a sink, putting in a new sink, Had no idea, he just comes in, he's like, How did this thing get here? Like (laughs) that's total being completely immersed in thought, in concentration, in focus is one of the keys to greatness. I wanna share with you one more story that I've told to Yitzi many times. We've read this in a book together. Ovadi Yosef, Chacham Ovadi Yosef, was once due for a very, very he needed to get a test, which was a very, very painful test. And typically they put people into general anesthesia. And he tells the doctor, absolutely not, no general anesthesia. They're like, it's really painful. It's worth it for you to just be put under for, for this test because it's very painful. He's like, no. He tells his assistant, go down to the synagogue in the, in the hospital. There's a synagogue in the hospital and bring me a Talmud. He says, which one? He says, any. And he goes, he brings him a Talmud. And the rabbi looks in the Talmud. He starts focusing and concentrating. And he tells the doctor, he says, you can begin your procedure. And he gets into, he's in a complete focus. They do the procedure. And, you know, a short time later, he turns to the doctor and he's like, can you guys start already? And they're like, no, 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 we're done already. (laughs) He had no idea. His focus in Torah was so intense that all the noise in the world, all the pain in the world didn't exist because of his focus in study. It's something which is is remarkable. I remember when I would come to my grandfather and he'd be in the process of thinking and preparing for his discourse, for his lectures, and he'd be sitting there. And to most people, it would look like he was just sleeping. He was so immersed in thought that you can bang on the table, you can yell and scream, and he wouldn't hear you. And if I didn't actually nudge him with my hand, which I would only do if it was a real emergency, you wouldn't be able to distract him. In fact, my grandfather would say that before we walk out to the street and get distracted by all of the different sights that we see in the street, he would say, open up a book of Torah, look at a verse, look at a Mishnah, look at a line of the Talmud, and just immerse your mind in thought. The great Briskarov, his father, would learn with him Talmud, and then he would have him stand by a window and look out the window into the marketplace and review the Talmud in his mind. And they asked him, why, why is your father, why would your father do that to you? He says, so my father was training me to be able to be immersed in Torah thought, even when all of these distractions are around me. And that ability to be able to remove all of those distractions, to be able to remove all of the, quote, delicacies of the world. There's so many distractions, and to stay focused is
0: really one of the attributes of a tzaddik. And... You look at one of the main problems in our world today with electronics is that everyone's attention span has shrunk to about 15 seconds. Teachers are struggling with this, how to keep someone's attention for any amount of time at all. I read this book called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And one of the things he was learning as he was investigating how to get people to concentrate was he went with a friend of his who was Jewish to the morning Talmud study to observe what they were doing about how they just would start their morning focused on this complex text and is what allowed them to stay focused on their other activities throughout the day. Shows the power of Torah and why it's needed now more than ever. That's correct. And the more a person is able to remove all of those distractions,
1: that fly that was bothering you, the Yetzirah that was bothering you, is in a different form with a cell phone. It's in a different form with radio and television and internet and uh, deals and Amazon and all of these things that come up are different little distractions that the Yetzirah very craftily presents to us. He puts them in front of us as if, you know, like a beautiful buffet of options. Just don't focus on Torah that's going to transform your life. But I I want to just focus for a minute on, you know, we mentioned Chacham Ovad Yosef and his amazing ability to concentrate, but he was also very sensitive to people. He was once going to, when he was 80 years old, it was just 14 years before he passed away, he was going in for a very big surgery. And he asked the doctors, they were doctors, were getting everything ready for the surgery. And he said to them, are you ready to begin? I said, we're ready to begin. He says, now I need to leave and I'll be back in three hours. So they said, what? You're about to have surgery. Three hours. I need three hours. I'll be back here three hours on the minute. He, his driver drives him home. He locks himself in his room. And three hours, he's back on the operating table. And he has the surgery and everything goes, goes fine. After, they asked him, like, what did you need the three hours for? He said, look, I didn't know that I was going to come out of the surgery alive." He says, but there, I was in the middle of writing a responsa for an aguna. An aguna is a woman whose husband disappeared and didn't give her a get. And in such a case, she can't get remarried unless she either has verification that her husband died or if the rabbi, through his brilliance, is able to figure out a way for her to be exempt from that marriage for whatever reason either. And the rabbi was afraid that if he were to pass away from the surgery, this woman would be stuck for forever. And he wanted, he was so sensitive to this woman's need, obviously, to be freed from this, that he said, I just needed this time to remove her from this bondage, I would say. Amazing. But I want to share with you another amazing story. There was once a student in the yeshiva of the Chavetz Chaim, who the Chavetz Chaim had heard he smoked a cigarette on Shabbos. And we know that's a biblical prohibition. It's, it's really bad. So the Chavetz Chaim called him into his office. And that student of the Chavetz Chaim, 50 years later, related that that changed his life for forever. And everyone's wondering, what did the Chavetz Chaim say? What did he say? The man became a great rabbi later. But he said, what did he say? He said, he said, the Chavetz Chaim didn't say anything. Chavetz Chaim didn't say anything. The Chavetz Chaim just embraced me, held my two hands, wrapped by his two hands. And the Chavetz Chaim started crying. And he said one word, Shabbos. Shabbos and the Chavetz Chaim's tears were dripping down his face crying for the holiness of Shabbos that was desecrated and one of those tears dropped on that individual's hand he said now 50 years later it's like a burn in my hand I feel that tear drop from the Chavetz Chaim on my hand every day of my life said, The Chavetz Chaim didn't say anything. He didn't reprimand me. He just showed me the love of Shabbos. You know, the, the stories told about the Chavetz Chaim once found out that there was a factory that was open on Shabbos. It was owned by a Jew. And he sent his students, Go speak to the factory owner and tell him about Shabbos and that he should encourage him to close his factory. So the students went, came back, and they told the Chavetz Chaim, No luck. So the Chavitz Chaim packed his bags and he went himself to go speak to the factory owner. And sure enough, the factory owner closed his factory on Shabbos. So the students asked the Chavitz Chaim, how come you were successful and we weren't? He said, because when he told you, he had a steel mill, and he told you that he needs the machines to be open you know, on Shabbos, you know, because to get it to the temperature that it needed, it would take till Tuesday if he turned them off for Shabbos. And you started getting into all the technicalities of his business. He says, I don't run a steel mill. I don't run a business. But I do run Shabbos. I do love Shabbos. He says, I wasn't trying to sell him how to run his business. All I was trying to sell him was the enjoyment and pleasure of Shabbos. He'll figure out how to run his business. And it's the love the Chavetz Chaim had for every Jew. There's another story that Rabbi Bosco just shared in The Spark this week in the beautiful weekly publication. He shared a story of the Chavetz Chaim where he traveled to Russia to meet a very wealthy Russian Jewish businessman. And he asked him his yeshiva was in desperate need of funds. And this wealthy Russian businessman gave him an enormous amount of money. The Chavetz Chaim looked at the money and started crying. And, and, and the businessman immediately tells him, I'm sorry, I didn't give you enough money. I'll give you more money. How much more money do you want? Chavetz Chaim says, no, I don't need more money. He says, I'm just sad that such a great person like yourself will suffer so greatly in the world to come, because your factory is open on Shabbos. The Chavetz Chaim wasn't saying it to hurt this individual. He loved this individual. He saw the beauty, he saw the greatness of this individual. And he cared. he deeply felt the pain that this person is going to suffer so greatly because they desecrated the Shabbos. So the person said, I see your love for Shabbos is so great. I'll observe the Shabbos. In, in your honor, I'll observe the Shabbos. And indeed, he did. And the Chavetz Chaim, wherever he went, he showered that love for every Jew and the love for his own Yiddishkeit, for his own Judaism. That together is, is, is the gold mine of greatness. He didn't care about his own money. He didn't care about his own wealth, his own, that's not the point. The point is you have an opportunity to enjoy Shabbos and you're not enjoying it. It hurts me. It
0: pains me. You know, this, this trait that seems to come up over and over again goes back to Moshe. Because he is described as being the humblest man ever, but as great as all the Jewish people combined. And when I was reading the commentary, reconciling how that could be the case, it was saying that it was because all his concerns were on all the Jewish people. Like, their needs were his needs. That's what made him as great As all of them.
1: You know that when the Jewish people left Egypt, they were busy collecting all of the loot and everything that they could from the Egyptians. The Midrash says that every Jew left with 90 donkeys worth of wealth. 90 donkeys. And Egypt was the wealthiest country in the world. Uh, I mean, the streets were almost paved in gold. I mean, it was really unbelievable, the wealth and 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 the opulence that they lived with. Moshe was busy doing something else. He was busy getting the trees that they would need, the wood that they would need for the, for the temple. He was busy getting the bones of Joseph. He was busy doing a lot of other things than just worrying about himself. So how was he repaid for this? And the Midrash explains that Moshe, when he was carving out the tablets, it was sapphire, it was pure sapphire. Hashem said, you can take those extra pieces of sapphire because you didn't worry for yourself in Egypt you're going to get the sapphire pieces that are left over from the tablets, and that's going to be your, your reward. And our sages tell us that the value of that sapphire was far greater than all of those 90 donkeys worth of loot that they got from Egypt. We have to understand that selflessness is one of the key components of greatness. And I want to share with you an amazing story. There was a rabbi who came to the Chazonish, and he says to the Chazonish, he who came with his wife— And the rabbi had just been promoted to the head of the yeshiva, which is a pretty distinguished position. And uh, the husband and wife were in a dispute because the the husband's job every morning was to take out the garbage to the local dumpster down at the street. But he said, now it's unbecoming. It's not not fitting for someone who's the head of the yeshiva to really be carrying the garbage out to the street. And they came to the chasonish. So the Chalazonish started prodding them with questions. Where do you live exactly? What street? What house number? What floor are you in? Which apartment? What time would you take out the garbage? He says, on my way to the yeshiva, at this and this time, I would usually take out the garbage. He says, you know, considering where you live, your house, and the time you would do it, you're right, it's unbecoming for you. It's not befitting for you. The next day, In the morning, at that same time that the rabbi would leave the house, there's a knock at the door. They open the door, and it's the great sage, the Chazon Ish, standing at the door. And they're like, their eyes are popping out like, what are you doing here? He says, I came to take the garbage out. He says, it's not befitting for you, but it is befitting for me. Please, let me take the garbage. I'll take it down to the street. And that's greatness. Because... He was showing by example what it means to not care about what other people say, to do what's right, notwithstanding the circumstances we put ourselves into. He locked himself into a box where someone who is ahead head of a yeshiva shouldn't be, well, the Chazanesh
0: taught him otherwise. You know, early on my studies learned that, that the antidote to the Yetzirah is Torah. And it seems like what I'm hearing from your stories and the story I was telling in the intro, is that what Torah study does is, as the antidote to the Yetzirah, what the Yetzirah does is make us focus on our self and all of our needs. And Torah study gets us to, you know, focus on others around us. Primarily, the
1: Torah, uh, I'll just comment one second about the introduction. I wish everything you said in the introduction was true. Thank you very much for those kind words. But and I appreciate it. But that's what I aspire to be. I aspire to become someone who's a tzaddik, someone who's great. So, thank you for the encouragement that hopefully I took a single step. I try to take every day a step to try to be selfless. But really, what we're trying to do in this world is trying to become godlike. Right. And godlike means that we're kind even when the person we're trying to be kind to will slap us in the face once. And again, imagine if your child, God forbid, right? Imagine your child says, Dad, give me 10 bucks. You're like, uh, excuse me? That's not the way you talk. You have respect. You talk to your father with proper... You say, please, Daddy, I'm going with my friends. Is it okay? Can you please give me 10 bucks, right? That would be a, a, a reasonable presentation. Dad, give me 10 bucks. Who who do you think you are you're talking to? So your, your, your child would go over and give you a punch and say, I said, give me 10 bucks. I don't think there's any human being who would actually give them ten dollars but yet the almighty creator of heaven and earth tells us how to conduct our lives and we ignore him ignore him again trample on his Torah God forbid disgrace everything that he stands for and then we stand in prayer and say Hashem give me money Hashem give me success Hashem give me give me give me give me give me and guess what Hashem does you know why because Hashem is all kind Hashem is all kind. Hashem, it doesn't go, Hashem says, I'm going to give you more and more and more because I believe in you. I believe that one day you'll realize your mistake and you'll come back. I realize that, you you know, I know your abilities and therefore I'm going to continue to shower you with goodness so that one day, hopefully, you'll realize that we're in this together. Hashem is perfect in all his traits. We are not. We have those traits within us, but in a partial measure, which is why traits are called midot, they're called measurements, because we all have partial partial aspects of each trait. We're not a 10 in our kindness, we're not a 10 in our patience, we're not a 10 in our forgiveness, we're not a 10 in all of the magnificent traits that God has embraced us with. But throughout our lifetime, we're given the challenges that will help us reach and attain that perfection. And that's really the, the, the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to get to that level of perfection where we become Adam, man, which is Adame, which is to emulate God. We want to be God-like. And that's, that's really the the essence of a tzaddik, is one who recognizes that that's the goal. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, here I am, a tzaddik. No, they go through many, many struggles, many challenges, many times where the Chafetz Chaim, I'm sure, I'm confident that the Chafetz Chaim didn't wake up one day and say, oh, no more lashon hara. It was a very big process. I guarantee you that because it was such a challenge for him, which is why he later succeeded so greatly in not speaking English on Hara, is because many struggles, many challenges. He was able to overcome one time, uh, failed another time, overcame the next time, and that he was able to take that muscle and really strengthen it to become perfect in that aspect.
0: Wonderful. That's a key aspect that I guess we, sh- we all need to remember. Is that it's focused effort that's going to result in failure, but then we learn from the failure and then strengthen ourselves to move forward. That doesn't come easy.
1: We have to remember that if you're not in the boxing ring, you're not going to get punched. But when you get into the boxing ring, that's when you have the chance to win. And you know, when you're just sitting in the crowd and you're cheering, okay, you're, you just paid money to see someone else in the struggle. We want to be in that struggle. We're the chosen people as the ones who Hashem has chosen to be in that struggle. It's not going to be an easy journey. Do you know who has it easy? The people who are dead. They've passed on. They don't have challenges. They don't have bills to pay. They don't have worries. They don't have quarrels. They don't have fights or strife. They don't have challenges with arrogance and they don't have challenges with anger. They're done. As long as we're on this side of the grass, we have challenges. We have things that we need to overcome. And Hashem gives us, out of an abundance of love, Hashem gives us opportunity after opportunity to make those changes, to transform ourselves, to become better, and to overcome those challenges.
0: Isn't that the meaning of the word Yisrael? Yes. When Yaakov was given the name by the angel that he was struggling with? That's correct. That he, that once he was able to
1: overcome that battle, it's the idea is that you are able to see Hashem with clarity. Yashar Kel. Right, he's able to see Hashem with an absolute clarity. We have all of these distractions which blur our vision, which don't allow us to see Hashem clearly. And as a Yisrael, as a Jew, that is part of Israel is to be able to see Hashem with that clarity. And again, it's going to come with its struggles. There's nobody who's put onto this earth with a silver spoon spiritually that just gives them that clarity. Everyone had to overcome challenges to the Vilna going, it was his challenge, to the Chavetz Chaim, it was his, to the Chazon Ish, it was his, to my grandfather, to each and every one of us. We have our challenges, and that's what makes us great, is that we have challenges. And we have to embrace those challenges not to run away from them and wish we were someone else. We say, oh, if only I had the parents that that person had, if I have the siblings that that person had, if I have the wealth that that family has, or if I had the children that they had. That's not, no, no, no. Hashem put you exactly where you need to be
0: to be the greatest you possible. I guess and we should be complaining about them.
1: No, on the contrary, figure out a way to perfect them. You get angry, you have a short temper. Well, what am I going to do to overcome that? The first step in greatness is recognizing who you are, is recognizing, yes, these are my qualities, these are my flaws, these are my virtues, these are my limitations. And now, once I've embraced them, I can work on them. If I just keep on pushing them to the side, no, 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 I don't have a problem with anger. No, 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 I don't have a problem with jealousy. No, I don't have a, me, me, I I don't have, guess what? You're just hiding from yourself the opportunity to great to become great. The minute we recognize that these are the qualities that we have, focus on the qualities first, and these are the flaws that we have,
0: now we can start working on them. Makes sense. Nothing makes me more furious than when someone says, I have an issue with anger. I have one more story I want to share, and that is about
1: one of my favorite sages of the recent generation. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was a man of absolute kindness of patience and you know when people would walk him to his car so there'd be a big crowd you know every morning people would come you know if their child was putting on tefillin for the first time they would want a great rabbi to be there and to bless them and to give them you know guidance and how to put it on the first time it's a really special time so many people would go through a sage and many people would come to rabbi feinstein but after davening after the prayers in the morning that everyone would escort him out to the car and He was being escorted to the car and, you know, people are talking to him, asking him for blessings and people would ask him halachic questions and finally he gets to the car. Someone would open the door, he'd get into the car and that was it. Once the door closed, the questions would end. So he gets into the car and the driver drives. After they turn the corner and they go on to the next block and you could no longer be the car could no longer be seen from the yeshiva from where he was, Rabbi Feinstein asks the driver to please stop. The driver stops, not sure what's going on, and Rabbi Feinstein opens the door with his other hand and pulls his hand out of the door because the people who closed the door didn't realize and they closed the door too soonly on his hand and his hand got crushed in the door. So the driver said, why didn't you say something earlier? And this is a man who's really great. He knew that if he would have said something earlier, the the person who closed the door on him would never forgive themselves. They would never forgive themselves. I slammed the door shut on Rabbi Feinstein's hand. said, I didn't want to embarrass them. The Talmud says it's better for someone to go into a burning oven and die, burn themselves to a crisp, than embarrass someone in public. And that's what Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was trying to avoid. He did not want to embarrass this person. So it hurt him really badly, probably needed to go to the hospital to get his hands, his fingers repaired but he would not want to embarrass someone publicly and that was something which was so important to every one of our sages even moshe you see moshe did not want to embarrass the jewish people unless it was absolutely unavoidable and that is the key to greatness is to recognize that every person is precious every person is has greatness within them and to
0: help every person bring it to light and just the level of self-control, because if someone slammed my hand in a door, I would impulsively scream out, probably a bunch of explicitives, not thinking about it in pain, but the level of self-control, like you have mentioned about your grandfather too, didn't just impulsively react to anything. To anything, exactly. Impulse is it's, it's something that needs
1: to be controlled. It's default programming, but it can be overridden through Torah. Correct. Correct. And that, again, Torah is honey. And when you immerse yourself in Torah, you're able to transform everything that's within it with the sweetness of Torah.
0: Beautiful, Rabbi. You know I I always forget before I bring you in here and have you share these stories that what I'm looking for is inspiration because I'm challenged with something. We all are. But the reality is what you always remind me of when you're done telling the stories is that I should be excited and ecstatic because I have the challenges. And sometimes I need to be reminded of that.
1: Every person is facing a challenge. There's no one who's given a, a a slip of. You're free to go. To one person, it's their health, and that is the communication from Hashem. To another person, it's their it's their jealousy. To another person, it's their anger. To another every person they every there's nobody who's got a free ride. We've all got challenges, and that's the we have to embrace them and utilize every fiber of our being to overcome those
0: challenges and to attain greatness. Beautiful. Thank you, Rabbi, for sharing that. Yitzhi will be. Can I bring you back one? Is there any other stories you want to share? So
1: Yitzi is asking me to share a story on his behalf, a story that we discussed last night. Uh, I try to tell Yitzi a story every night when he goes to sleep. And I remembered a story about Avraham Pam. He's actually my brother, Yaakov's Sandek. He held him during his bris and uh, was a very, very special man. And it was one very snowy day. There was a blizzard in New York City. And he used to give a class in one of the synagogues in Flatbush every, let's say, Tuesday night. He would go to, to teach this class. And people would come and people would learn from him and, and hear his Torah. And there was one individual who would always fall asleep in his class. Okay, didn't have any, anything, you know, offensive. You know, to say to this individual, obviously, it's, you know, it's, at the end of the day, it's in the evening, he understands, the person's probably tired. But either way, it was this snowy day, and Rav Palm is thinking, should he go to this class or not? Because most likely, no one's going to be there. But he says, no, it's a red, set schedule, we're going to do it, we don't stop Torah study. Consistency is so important in Torah study. So Rav Palm walks in the snow, two, three miles to get to this class, and he goes there, and only one person shows up. Who's that one person? That one person who always falls asleep. And the person is all apologetic, I'm so sorry that nobody's here. He says, no, I came because I knew you were gonna be here. I knew that you. it was important to you to be at this class, so I decided to walk just for you. And they learned the two of them together. And he says, and Palm said it was worth it to walk those two, three miles in the snow, in the cold, for that one individual who will learn. That's what it's
0: all about. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Itzi. I appreciate you coming on and look forward to having you again on the Schmall Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And my blessing to you, Dan, to myself and my family and to every all the Jewish people and to all the listeners of this incredible podcast is that we should take the opportunities that God gives us, the challenges, and love those challenges. Embrace them. Don't run away from them. They are there to help you become the best possible version of yourself.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.